Welcome to the Power Hour, Episode 5, recorded live on June 30th, 2021. The Power Hour is brought to you by Chelan County PUD, building a brighter future. Today, we're joined by Richard DeRock, General Manager of Link Transit and Electric Transportation Guru, and our own Dr. Jim White, Chelan PUD's Senior Energy Efficiency Engineer. They answer your questions on how to get around Chelan County using clean hydropower, the current limits on hydrogen power, new electric vehicle charging in Chelan County, cutting edge induction chargers, and why Link buses might not look very full these days. Join us Wednesdays at noon, live on Facebook, and simultaneously live on YouTube, or on this Power Hour podcast whenever you'd like to listen in, as Chelan PUD energy experts and duly anointed community members like Richard answer all your questions on energy efficiency, hydropower transportation, and renewable energy. Subscribe to the Power Hour and never miss an episode. I'm your host, Lacey Stockton. Let's dive in. Hi, Richard. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah? Staying cool? (laughs) <laughs> Pretty much. It's been an interesting challenge. So Yeah, and you're you're down at the Columbia Station building. Yes. Right? Yeah. Ha- happily down here. The air conditioning's working better here than it is out at the operations base. So uh, Okay. <laughs> so your operations base is looking like my operations base, which is why I'm at Scott Stanford's house, is because <laughs> I don't have AC at my house right now. <laughs> yeah, well, we we have some, but it's a it's weak out at the operations base right now, so it's a little challenging. Oh man. Well, it's supposed to gradually cool off over the next, you know, week or two. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you so much for joining us. We also have Jim with us. Dr. Jim, how are you doing? Good, 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 good. Yeah. Staying cool in here. It's exceedingly hot outside today. It's it's hot. It's hot outside for sure. And you're you're at Chelan PUD's HQ. Our new HQ is getting built, of course, down there at Old Station. And you're here to field any customer questions that they have about their personal rides while Richard talks about our shared ride. <laughs> yeah, I hope to talk about Richard's stuff too, because they're doing amazing things. Link Transit is really way out in front in a very positive way. So Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to hear about all these updates. I mean, Richard just gave us like a little sneak peek. And in the last year and two years, it's, it's like light years. I feel already out of date. So I'm going to hop right in. And Richard, can you just kind of give us a, a high level overview of what is Link up to? What's new? What's coming down the pike? Sure. Let me talk just a bit about what we're doing overall. So we went to the ballot in August of 2019 with a service plan to change transit here in our community. And the community voted to increase service. And so we've gone out and done a pretty substantial service redesign uh, study to look at how to make service better in our community. And we actually implemented some of the services that were in that ballot initiative. We started Sunday service for the first time ever uh, last July. Um, And we expanded Saturday services and did that in the middle of a pandemic, which uh, was kind of an interesting situation. But we also had to deal with the pandemic, which in the public transit world has been probably the single largest change we've seen in the industry ever. Um, Nationwide, we've seen transit ridership fall anywhere between 50 and 80 percent, which is just astounding uh, numbers. And here at Link, we didn't see anywhere near that significant a drop in ridership. Uh, Initially, we saw probably in the range of 60 percent, and it bounced back to about a 40 percent drop pretty quickly which was an indication of how many of our riders were really those essential workers that, that had to get to and from 
uh, their employment or they were going to get food or they were, you know, using this to, you know, get pharmacies and medical appointments, those types of things that really had, that was what they needed. And it was a, they were important trips that had to be done. We've regrown our system to about weekdays, about 70% of where we were pre-COVID. Saturdays were about 105% of where we were pre-COVID. Sundays were ahead of where we thought we would be. We're doing about 800, 900 trips a day on Sundays. And we have a pretty limited Sunday schedule right now. Um, but Can that, I interject? I am curious. Sure. So I know that Link Transit does more than Chelan County. Mm-hmm. Where all do you operate? So we operate, um, well, in, in all 19 communities in Chelan County and all of uh, East Wenatchee, uh, Waterville, uh, Rondo, in Douglas County. So it's our boundaries are all of Chelan County and the Eastmont and Waterville and Rondo school districts in Douglas County. So the more populated parts of Douglas County. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Thanks. Sure. <laughs> I mean, relatively speaking, we're doing, actually, I was on a national call. And from what I can tell, we've got maybe the highest ridership of any system in the country in terms of, 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 of since COVID in terms of percentage of what we were doing, of what we're doing. Um, but we're still down from where we were previously. And that's not, again, that's what every, everyone's dealing with. And, but we're still trying to move forward with what we promised the community. And in the midst of that, we're also doing our electric bus program. Uh, and we made a major change in our vehicle fleet right in the middle of all these things going on. We had uh, we took delivery of 10 new battery electric buses in December and January uh, from BYD, who is the vehicle manufacturer we've been working with for the last four years. And of these 10 vehicles, these were an actual follow-on on the ones we'd had previously. Uh, BYD, our original delivery in 2017, didn't quite work the way we needed it to when it was very hot and when it was cold. The batteries overheated when it was extremely hot when we were charging, and they couldn't work exactly the way we needed when it was cold. Um, so what you're saying is... If today would have happened, then you wouldn't have been in a great spot. Exactly, the bus wouldn't. The bus would have worked, but it would not have been able to recharge in the afternoon, and which would shorten the length of the, of the time we could have used the bus. And and that was the problem we were having with those 2017 and 18 buses. And our contract, we had we were concerned that was going to be a problem for us, and so we had actually written that into our contract that if it didn't meet those performance standards, the BYD was going to fix that for us. And they, in fact, did. They built us a new designed bus that had a temperature-managed system. And so these new vehicles were delivered in December and January, and they've solved that problem. Uh, the batteries now have a temperature-management system that deals with the heat. And for the cold, we worked with a company out of Spokane called Hot Start that has a heating system that keeps the batteries warm in the winter and keeps a, uh, keeps the system at a even operating temperature, which allows them to work just fine in the winter. And we had a great uh, time over the winter. And so we were able to solve both those problems, which really makes the the batteries work really effectively. And so we've put almost... So is this... Sorry. So this is something I never thought about. I mean, I think about with a, you know, a diesel. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if it gets super cold, you have to give a little bit of, a little heat love to your diesel engine to get to, to turn over. But I didn't think about this. Jim, is this a common issue with electric vehicles, like on a smaller scale? Or is it? Is there something about the size of the bus? Like, what, why does temperature matter? 
So the range on electric vehicles drops when it gets colder. So by increasing the temperature and keeping the batteries warm, you can keep the range going. That's that's awesome. And the fact that the link transit buses are using a different form for actually heating the space, heating the bus instead of using the batteries, they can continue to operate and get the range throughout the throughout the winter, which is outstanding. And and I don't know if people realize it, but link transit, we are just way out we think they actually and the work that Richard has done. Hey, it's all about the community. <laughs> <laughs> Take credit for it. Yeah. But they're just outstanding and they're just so far out in front of the nation in terms of their charging network and what they've learned and what they've put together in the system. And now with these induction chargers, these wireless induction chargers, where the bus just pulls over this charger and while they're parked there for five, 10 minutes or however long that they're parked there, they can be getting this very fast charge to give unlimited range. This is just something that doesn't happen in the rest of the world or the country. So we're way out in front. And I, I think that Chelan County and Wenatchee and all of us should be real proud of the work that Chelan and that Link Transit has done here. It's phenomenal. For sure. We even have a little love note here. Jenna is saying that we love Sunday Transit in the Chelan area. They use it as an easy way to visit Manson for the day, and they don't have to worry about parking, which is pretty cool. I'm sure that this is also true for Leavenworth. Leavenworth parking can be a hot mess. And so hopping on the, I believe, the 22 up there can be a really easy solution. Could you talk just a little bit about these sort of, you know, we think about transit within the city, but there's also between the city. How, how does that work, Richard? Well, and that's, I mean, we, we run quite a bit of service between Leavenworth and Chelan. We do, uh, I think it's 28 round trips a day to Leavenworth and 24 round trips a day to Chelan. Those are quite long distances. The Chelan buses are, a couple of those vehicles have to go almost 500 miles a day, which is currently beyond the range that an electric bus can do. Uh, the Leavenworth routes are about 305, 310 miles, which has been beyond the range of electric buses as well. However, we, with these wireless chargers we just energized, we've now made it within the range of our electric vehicles. And that's... Uh, we've. So you're saying electric is now happening or is able to happen between... Wenatchee and Leavenworth all day, all of those. It, it's it's going to be phased in. We have to get the buses there to do it. But yes, that is the intention. We've actually run it. And we just we just energized these wireless chargers that are capable of making this happen. And literally in the last two weeks, uh, we have, the again, the first ones that have ever been built that they can do this. Um, <laughs> and it allows us to charge these vehicles at uh, the 35-foot the coaches that we've got for this can charge at 230 kilowatts of wireless power and they the charges adapt which means i can put four to five kilowatt four to five kilowatts a minute back into the vehicle our vehicles our drivers get about 1.9 kilowatts um, uh, a mile so that gives me you know, in terms of about three miles of range per minute they are on the charger and with that plus the 190 miles of range the bus comes with when I charge it overnight, I can make that bus go about 350 to 400 miles, which gives us the range to do all of our in-town routes and our Leavenworth uh, any service up the Upper Valley. When, uh, Chelan's still a little bit out of the range, but we think that's coming. We're getting closer to it, um, and it may be the next generation of the battery structure that can do that. Uh, we're getting some vehicles, hopefully next week, that are. Uh, the next generation battery 
which is a little stronger and can take a faster charge and very well may allow us to do the slant routes. Here's another question for you. So Owen mm -hmm. is asking, have, has Link looked into hydrogen-powered buses? Yes, we have. And hydrogen doesn't make any sense in our environment, unfortunately. It's because what a hydrogen bus is, is essentially it's a ele battery electric bus with a fuel cell to do the conversion to electric. So you have all the complexity of the battery electric bus, plus you have the fuel cell conversion. And while this technology is being looked at in a lot of places, and it makes sense in certain environments, here where we have clean electric power and its rates are reasonable, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to convert the electricity to hydrogen first and then convert it back to electricity. In Southern California, where some of their power is coal-based or where the demand charges are so expensive so the electricity doesn't cost a lot, hydrogen actually makes sense in that environment. And so some of my compatriots in the industry are, are actively looking at hydrogen as a way to manage the cost of the system. But when we've looked at it, it makes more sense for us to stay electric um, in the current structure. And that's been something we've worked with, with Jim on doing those calculations of how we can manage the cost. And we couldn't make the, the business case to either, either to use uh, uh, wayside storage or to do hydrogen in order to manage the cost. The, the PUD's cost structure for us is such that it just makes sense to use it the way that we're doing it. And we keep the price way below what diesel is. In fact, our cost of operating these buses is coming in at about 24 cents a mile. And that's all cost, maintenance, tires, energy, where a diesel bus is costing us right now about 68 cents a mile. So it's about a, a little less than, what was that, about 55%, 60% savings. And that actually pays for the difference in the cost of the bus. Huh. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. So what about, does it, do the, does the calculus change at all if you're talking about longer trips with, with hydrogen? Um, maybe. And, and that's the other reason people are looking at hydrogen is theoretically you can get longer range with hydrogen. The, and the reason I said maybe is they're not really sure where they've tried this in terms of making the range work. They can't get the speeds. Um, the fuel cells that are available today for using in the vehicles don't generate enough energy to run the vehicle at high enough speed. So you have to put so many batteries on it to run your boat motor. Keeping it at a constant speed is difficult. If you're So the type of service we do, the really long distance highway speed, doesn't seem to work with the fuel cells we currently have. Um, it might work for the kind of freeway driving they do in Southern California where it's stop and go and the speeds are not quite as high. And so, I mean, I have a friend that runs one of the transit systems down in Los Angeles, and it seems to make sense in his environment. But when we've looked at the, the curves here, it doesn't pencil out the way that it, it does down there. Okay. So maybe it's sort of like with the battery where like maybe as things progress and maybe as things change, it might make sense on some routes potentially, but with the rate structure here in Chelan County, just straight electric is kind of the way to go right now. Well, and if fuel cells continue to develop, that could change. Right now, mm -hmm. the, the fuel cells are very promising in smaller vehicles, and I think they might have real application in the small in the smaller vehicles we operate. And I, I actually kind of think that might be an application for us, but in the full-size buses, I'm not sure it makes sense. Um, and if they, if they improve and the fuel cell becomes more efficient, then maybe it does make sense. But right now they don't have those available 
um, in a way that that costs out possible. And one other thing too is regarding the energy efficiency. It does take energy. If you're even if you're converting from electricity into hydrogen, you've got about an eighty eighty percent conversion efficiency. So you're losing twenty percent. And then when you convert it back from even if you have a very efficient fuel cell, you get another eighty percent. So 0.8 and 0.8, you're still losing thirty-five percent of the energy. And when you're looking at battery energy, we're putting that energy into the battery. There's a little bit of loss through like the wireless induction charging, or when you're charging that battery, you don't get all of it doesn't go into as energy some of it comes off as heat so there's a loss but the losses in a battery electric buses are much smaller than they are for hydrogen so we have a couple of questions here richard there's mm -hmm. one from john he's asking about what the chances are of getting a shuttle route around the east leavenworth icicle road loop there through the the river valley that could potentially help parking for residents, visitors, and local employees by allowing them to get into town without having to park in town. What do you think? Um, well, it's being looked at. The uh, study that the board adopted last month calls for running the shuttle that we currently have, which runs from the park and ride we opened up two years ago, which is behind Safeway, and it currently goes up to the Icicle Junction area, this would to take it down to the fish hatchery area um, at least eight to 10 times a day to provide some of that ac additional access. And so that's pro that's more than likely going to happen. Whether we would actually use East Leavenworth Road is, is something we're looking at to see whether it makes sense. Additionally, there was some thought and we have to see whether we can make it happen. But one of the things that was definitely put in as a need from the community was access to some of the trailhead work. Uh, and there's some real parking issues up uh, the icicle, uh, at least in one of the one or two of the major trailheads. And so we are looking to see if that's viable to make happen. Uh, King County does that in a couple other trails. And if we have the vehicles and can actually make that occur, that might be a benefit as well. So we already do part of that. And expanding on it is is part of the plan cool and and what is the process um i think you know john john has this question about mm -hmm. icicle road i know other folks of you know that i've spoken with they have their little projects and right. things like that how do people get in touch with you or what's your process for adapting to the community needs so we we just finished an outreach process which the board adopted a framework of a, of a service design so what will happen now is our planning unit is taking that framework and is operationalizing it. They're pulling together how you would take those proposals and build schedules out of them and looking at how we would roll those improvements out. And there were a whole series of recommendations that were made in terms of additional services that go forward. The questions and challenges that are in that are things like, well, when can we get additional buses? Uh, if you add service, you need additional bus Right now, the delivery time on a, on a new bus is 19 months to two years. So once you decide you need to, you're going to do a route, then you have to make an order, and it's two years before the vehicle arrives. And then we also have to have employees to do them. And that's actually a big challenge right now. Is uh, we would probably do more service today. We we have the available, we have the resources to do more service. We don't have enough employees to do all the service that we need. One of the things that happened with COVID was a bunch of folks who were thinking about retirement, thinking about uh, you know getting at that point because we're 30 years old as an organization, 
retired early and we had a, uh, so we're some of the people we had hired for expansion ended up filling backfilling retirement slots. And we don't have as many people as we would like to have to fill the expansion needs we, we have. So we're covering. So you're looking for like chauffeurs and things like that. You're willing to train. I we're mean, we're actually willing to train. We're absolutely, you know, we're, <laughs> So people have seen our ads. We're looking for drivers. We need about 23 more drivers to meet the needs for the service expansion we've got planned already. Uh, and so if people and are these are like these are fantastic buses, right? Like these these are not these aren't like some old beaters. <laughs> no, nope. these are like top of the line, super quiet electric buses uh, that folks will be driving around. Which I I ran into a off duty chauffeur down at um down at pibus one day you had a bus down there and he was actually like really proudly showing people around the bus and everything and he was not on the clock <laughs> he was just really excited about it so i think it's i think it's a good gig it, it well it is it's a great job so if, if people are interested please please check us out it's a great career and people that enjoy this stick with us we've you know like i said we had a lot of 20 and 25 year people retired just recently. And um, it, it's a great opportunity as well. Hey, Richard, you mentioned something about some electric vehicle chargers. You, how many, you, how many did you say that Link sure. put in? Are they at the park and ride? And what's up yeah. With that? So uh, part of the grant that we got to put in our wireless charging system, we had some resources that were left over. And so we also have a mandate to do wireless charging in our park and ride lots. So we were able to install 19 park, uh, car chargers in our park and ride lots. And these will be energized here in the next couple of days. So we have, we've got two car chargers in our Leavenworth park and ride lot. We have two in our big Y park and ride lot in Pashaston. We have two in a new park and ride lot in Cat. It, it, it's a joint use park and ride lot with at country boys in, in Kashmir. We have two at our new joint park and ride at the museum in Kashmir. We have eight at our park and ride in old station and we have two at our park and ride here in Columbia Station. Uh, and then we also added one to our park and ride in Inniat. So that takes us to 19 car chargers that uh, we've added to the system here in Cheyenne County. Uh, well, those are, that's awesome. So those are car chargers that customers, people can pull up, charge in their vehicle. Is it like through PlugShare or something? I mean, uh, through, are they charged? Do they pay for it? Do they just no, they, for charge? Uh, we're not allowed to charge for electricity because state law. So they're free. Um, so they're at no cost to the uh, user. Uh, they are um, a Clipper Creek chargers. They charge between 12 and 15 um, kilowatts uh, for the cars. So whatever the cars need. And if people are using them the way they should, they should be able to do a, a nice top up on their vehicles and get them where they need to go. Or if they going to have lunch in Leavenworth at a park and ride, they can park in the park and ride, charge their vehicle, take the shuttle into downtown and, uh, you know, go have lunch and come back and have their car topped off. That's awesome. Cause that's a, that's more than doubling the number of level two chargers in the County. So that's great. That's really good to hear. You know, there's this great app um, that Jim mentioned last time. If Jim, you want to do a plug for that app. Yes, a plug for PlugShare. So yeah, PlugShare.com, plug if you get the app for your phone, it'll tell you which chargers are out there. It doesn't always tell you exactly which ones are being used at the moment, but it gives people's comments and then, you know, it's opportunity to see where they're at and how many there are and information about each of the chargers. So highly recommend that, PlugShare.com. Yeah, and, and we've we've got our setup to go on to them. They should be... I think the final inspection is happening tomorrow on the last one of them. And they, so they should be energized and available for the public 
probably next week. Mm-hmm. Awesome. awesome. Okay, Jen, uh, Richard, we got another question here. Okay. So Hassan is asking, how much of the battery charging happens during peak hours in winter and summer? It seems like the last couple of days could have been hard for charging. Is there a way that you can coordinate with us at the PUD to maybe charge off peak and give the, the grid a little bit of a break? You know, it's it's interesting. Um, we've actually spent a lot of time talking to the PUD about this, and the peak at the PUD is not when you think it would be. Um, and so charging during the day for our vehicles actually doesn't ha- is not when the peak is. And so it really doesn't cause much of an issue. We do we have worked with them to make sure that we're not simultaneously using our wireless chargers at the highest amperage all at the same time. That's part of the way we manage the cost and also manages the grid structure. The peak actually is in at night when we're charging. And we've all, and so we have worked with the PUD to make sure that we're minimizing uh, those issues. And that, that goes to the fact in the winter is when the peak really ends up being because we heat by, by electric as well. So, it, like I said, it's not it, it's not what you would normally think the peak is, and and we had to do some work trying to work on that issue to make sure we we were managing that demand because we don't want to drive the cost, and it's it's economical for us to do it that way as well because it keeps our price down. Yeah, and this is this is such a great conversation because especially right now as we get these heat waves throughout not just Chelan County but the entire Western Grid, there are some utilities that are really looking at. What time are people using power? At what time? And so to collaborate with the PUD on such a large charging infrastructure, such as Link Transit's buses, really makes sense. But then, you know, there's other things that we as a community can start talking about in terms of when we as homeowners decide to like crank our heat up in winter <laughs> or throw in a load of hot wash. These All of these little things, you know, I know that with Link, you have kind of your own dedicated system in terms of bringing in power to be able to charge the buses when you need it. But when we talk about each of our little communities that makes up our local grid, we will, I think, start talking a little bit more about this time of when we're using electricity. So I, I really appreciate this. That's yeah. Great. And and if, if our volume starts increasing to a point that it's become more of a challenge, the strategy that we've looked at, and we actually thought we were going to do it this year and and Jim working with Jim and and the PUD decided not to do it right now because it just didn't make economic sense right now is we would install large batteries at our facility and what we would do is we would charge mm-hmm. batteries to run the chargers and so we'd be charging at a constant low rate which would not impact the grid the same way and then we would pull power from those batteries to run our wireless chargers at the higher rate and our plug-in chargers at night at, a, at because that, they actually charge at a pretty high rate as well, but they would charge, but we'd be pulling from the batteries rather than from the grid as a way to, to even the, the demand on the grid. And that, you know, like I said, if we get more vehicles and we get to a place where it really is going to be an issue, that is the strategy that makes the most sense. It just did make sense with the number of buses we had and the demand we were going to be pulling at this time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's probably, that's, that's in the future and it's something that we've mapped out. And I think it, like I said, it makes, it's, it's a good strategy and I think it will protect all of us, but mm-hmm. it, we, it doesn't make any sense to put the, put it in until we needed it. For sure. Problem for future Richard and Jim. Exactly. <laughs> that's great. I actually have a new one coming from Ida. She's asking, 
how come I see so many empty buses pass by on Western Avenue at all hours? Well, I'm not sure where on Western she is, but part of the issue is that Western is at the end of routes. And if you think about how a route works, people get off and on on a way a bus. And so you have you design your bus route so that you that you have the right size bus so that you have enough seats for people at its peak period and people get off and on along the route. So you have to have enough seats for when you have the maximum number of people. But as people drop off, there are going to be periods when the bus is going to have very few people on it or perhaps perhaps none, but then they pick up people later on as well. So that's part of the issue. Right now, we also have the issue that under the COVID rules, we were required to run larger buses and a full bus under COVID standards was um for a full-size coach was 11 people. For a smaller bus, it was five and six. And so some places where we would normally run a small bus, we were having to run large vehicles, which made them look a lot emptier than they are, but that was part of social distancing issues. And um, that uh, those rules actually changed tomorrow. We're actually able to go back to uh, the, the previous standards. And so we'll see some shifting of the capacity things uh, with the, the change in the governor's rules tomorrow. And how has that worked with um, your vans? So I know that you have your main bus system and then you have some, a, a service that is for other folks that mm -hmm. may have you know, mobility issues or things like that. H how does it work? Well, so we have actually, so our, our regular fixed route system we have are, we have our 10 electric buses right now. We have two more coming next week. Uh, and then we have another three that uh, we've ordered. So we'll have 15 electric buses here relatively quickly. Um, we think we're going to have another six ordered sometime this year, which will take us to about 22, 23 full-size electric buses. And so our full-size fleet, other than the buses going to Chelan, should be electrified within two years. The Schlan buses are the large 40-foot coaches. Those are diesel-powered, and those are relatively new, so those will stay diesel for a while. The routes that go to, say, Waterville and Rock Island, some of the ones that go up, up in some of the neighborhoods are built on a van chassis, and those are also fixed route, and they're available to everybody, but those are smaller buses. Uh, they have been propane-powered, um, and that was our intention this last year, but we the COVID crisis has not made tanks available. So we haven't been able to get those vehicles converted. Uh, so they're running on gasoline currently. And we'll see whether that they ever get converted at this point because the miles are getting up on those. We don't have an electric option for that size of bus right now. And we're hoping that's gonna change. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Then the very small vehicles are, uh, are Link Plus vehicles for people with disabilities. And we have, minivans and we have uh, Ford Transit vans that we use for that service. Um, and those are for people that, that can't physically either get to a bus stop or deal with the weather conditions or uh, there's no curb cuts that allow them to access the fixed route system, something environmentally or a combination disability. And so Aida is asking, so mm -hmm. she says that she's 84. So mm -hmm. does she have to have, you know, does she have to have a disability to get a ride on one of those vans? Or how to, does it work? She has to have a mobility and a mobility limitation. So, which effectively is some form of disability. 
because our fixed route system actually serves most mobility needs. And we've made, put a lot of money into making our regular buses. All our regular buses have low floors. They have no stairs. All our regular buses have a lot of handholds. And for most people, including elderly people, our regular buses provide really good service. And so we're encouraging people to use the regular bus system as much as they possibly can. Now, if that doesn't work because the person can't get to a bus stop because they there's a physical barrier or their ability to navigate the, the environment becomes difficult or their cognitive ability starts to, to fail, that's when they become eligible for the Link Plus system. And Link Plus is a door-to-door system that provides a lot of driver assistance, but it's very expensive to deliver. And so we do limit the eligibility of to that to people that really can't use the regular system. Um, and But that is very personalized and we're very proud of it. It's a great system. Uh, we use the smaller vehicles for that. And we do several hundred trips a day on that as well uh, across the county. And it goes any place the regular buses go. We It's a parallel system to what the regular bus system does. Okay. And so like in Aida's case, um, it sounds like she may be on Western Avenue. Maybe it's a little hard for her to get to her bus stop, mm-hmm. but she's seeing buses going in front. So could she like maybe have so, the regular buses stop closer to her? Well, her the best house? thing for her to do would be to call and ask about travel training. And what, what we would do is we have staff that would look at what her needs are and see whether paratransit or Link Plus is the best option or whether we could actually teach her how to use the bus and what are the right connections for her to use this. And a lot of the problem people see in mobility is that they don't know how, they really don't know how to use the buses because people didn't grow up with it here. And if they actually understand how simple it is in many cases, transit's a better option. And we've found that even a lot of our Link Plus passengers, once they understand how the regular bus system uses is to use, they actually move to it because it's a lot more convenient for them. They don't have to call it a day in advance. They don't have to make a reservation. Uh, it just works better uh, for most people most of the time. And so that's been our, our effort is to try to get people as much mobility as they can. And it's just easier to do that on a regular bus system if it works for them. And so that's you know, the question. If that's the right solution, they should use the regular system. And if, and if they need the, the more personalized, that's available for them as well. Thank you for answering that question. You know, one of the questions that comes up that uh, we received a little bit before. So Jean had asked, how is Link funded? Because right now, I think that if I'm correct, you're not charging fares, right? Right. Okay. Yes, our, our board adopted uh, at least a one-year pilot of being fare-free. And we were fare-free during the first year of COVID, primarily because, at least initially, it was considered a risk to collect fares because of the distancing issues that we were required to maintain from passengers and, and our drivers. And then also the issue of counting fares. And when people thought COVID might be transmitted by contact, there was real questions about how were you going to actually count the money uh, and, and do it in a safe fashion. And so we suspended fares to deal with those issues up front. Part of the challenge going forward has been, and we were analyzing our fare issues going forward is that the cost of adapting to electronic fare collection, and we've had a lot of requests for people to have some form of electronic fare. Mm -hmm. The technology is so bloody expensive that it didn't make sense for us to invest in that. And right now the board said, let's keep it fare free, 
allow us to rebuild the ridership that we've lost and in the industry as a whole has been seeing, and we'll evaluate whether we want to continue this model or go back to a fair structure. And and there's a number of things that we're looking at because there are some real real concerns we have about being fare-free long-term. That being said, fares were never much of the of the revenue of the organization. At best, fares covered about 4% of our cost. Uh, our revenue has been, for the most part, sales tax driven. We were uh, and, and have been about 65 to 70% local sales tax is, wow. has been our, our revenue. Uh, federal money has been about 18 to 20% of our budget. Now, this year, because of all the federal funds that were allocated for COVID relief, uh, it's much, the federal money is much larger, and that's giving us some flexibility to do some interesting things. Um, and that's also part of the discussion the board is having about what are the investments we want to make for the future of our of our of our valley, particularly in this time where things are changing so significantly with uh, both the growth we're seeing, the increase in traffic and adapting to some of these other changes that are happening around us with uh, new developments and uh, well, just the, uh, the approval we just got of this uh, funding for our uh, Confluence Parkway and, and the change that will make in terms of how we'll be able to move around our valley. That'll, that will allow us to change some of our routing structures and actually move people differently in our valley as well. So how will that be a game changer, the new parkway? Well, when, when the parkway is actually finished, uh, it'll be a huge change in terms of how we move buses in and out of the area because one end of that parkway anchors at our operating base. And so every bus we have leaves has to trans- transverse Wenatchee Avenue. Uh, and so we move about 300 vehicles a day up and down Wenatchee Avenue. So if I can get out of the congestion on Wenatchee Avenue and get to Columbia Station much faster for shift changes, for moving empty buses to get them into service, uh, that saves an enormous amount of operating dollars for us. And then my commuter buses from Leavenworth and Chelan, if they can get through the traffic much faster, that'll make those much more competitive trips compared to the cars and make those commutes a, a, a more attractive option for people as well. And so we think those are really game changers in terms of the public transit side of the equation. The other part is of this is that entire application had a whole series of improvements in the road network, which were improvements in stops and bus priorities to allow the transit system to work better on those roads to make Hold it on. Bus priorities? <laughs> well, things like uh, things like a couple of Q-jump. So at intersections, there are a number of intersections that uh, the right-hand turn lane, the bus will be able to use the right-hand turn lane, and it will go straight across, but it'll get a 10-second advantage, so it goes first which allows it to get back to speed across the intersection so that it doesn't have to wait through the cycles of the light. So if congestion builds, the bus can maintain schedule. It also doesn't delay the rest of the traffic. It, it actually works as a positive benefit. The bus be- keeps keeps its schedule, but it also doesn't delay the rest of the traffic. And those type of advantages work to make the whole system work better. And, and that's been built into this application. Yeah, absolutely. I've been talking with folks about you know, our new service center and old station in the north of Wenatchee there. We're really excited about it. And people are saying, I really hope that Link puts in some bus stations by there because I'll absolutely, hands down, hop on a Link bus from Leavenworth or Chelan to come into work and then back out because how easy is that? 
so just a little plug for Old Station. <laughs> well, o Old Station is one of the terminal points of most of our service. So, Stan, a question too, just about uh, like e-bikes and bikes in general. I know you um, buses are outfitted with um, a rack on the front, are they not? Yes. Placing a bike, so we can. If I wanted to take my bike to Leavenworth and go riding, could strap it on the front and. There's a training or something that I have to go through to. No, it's to not, there's not really a training. If you need help, the operator will show you how to use the bike rack on it. We have three position racks on our buses that go inner city, and we have two position racks in our bikes here in town. Um, and in fact, we've just upgraded all the racks to uh, bike racks that can accommodate uh, fat tire bikes as well, because those mm -hmm. have become pretty common and they didn't fit in the previous racks we had. That being said, we actually have times of the day where it's hard to find a spot on the bus for, for the bikes because there's a lot of people using bikes in our community. Uh, and so we're also looking at other options to try to help people get bikes around. Cool. Thank you. So Richard Lyle saying, my goodness, the system has so many complexities. Thanks for your great work. And she's right. There's so much going on. <laughs> so many things to think about between temperature of your batteries and whether they're going to charge and how far they'll go and when's the next one and can we get some EV charging for the customers and what time will we be charging? All of these different things and then route planning on top of it, as well as it sounds like really working with customers to be able to do Link Plus when the need arises. There's a lot going on with Link to get people around. And, and I think it's, you know, it, Link's been, this is our 30th anniversary this year of, of Link, and we've become part of the fabric of our community. And I think one of the things that COVID did for, at least for me, and I know for a lot of our community members, is it sort of showed how critical we, we uh, part of the infrastructure we've become, at least for a significant part of our community. And that, you know, it, the complexity of, of making transit work and and making it relevant to a broader part of the population has been a big part of the mission that I know our board is trying to do is that we, you know, one of the objectives has been we've carved out a part of the market and serve people that didn't have a lot of choices quite well. We ex expanded and said, we're going to do, try to deal with the population that needs to work on shift work on weekends and service work is a big part of our community's uh, economy. So that was a really important thing to do. But we also want to be relevant to the rest of the population. And that's a big part of what some of these changes are doing. And we've also added, you know, we now have uh, passenger applications so that on your phone, you can download an app that allows you to see where every bus in the system is. You can see exactly how long it is to the bus gets to your bus stop, how many people are on that bus at the time. So you know whether it's crowded or not, whether you'll be able to get a seat. Um, you can route plan off the, off your phone. It, it's It's fantastic information. Uh, that lets you know exactly what's happening. And so you don't have to wait at stops uh, any length of time because you can know exactly when the vehicle is going to be coming. Wow, that's pretty cool. You know, we have these different sort of demographics that are looking to ride the bus for different reasons. I know that one of the groups that you had looked at a couple of years ago when I was chatting with you was, you know, service workers up in mainly the Leavenworth area and also Chelan and getting to work and then being able to catch a ride home for quite late in the evening was one thing that you guys were really focused on. And then also, you're right, like commuters that are coming in to the big city, the metropolitan area that is Wenatchee, and then heading back at the end of the day. So it's great that you're you're really considering all of the different kinds of riders. And then, you know, it's as the housing crisis has grown in our community, we're starting to say, well, is Wenatchee now the housing base for these outlying communities or has that moved? And we need to start thinking about 
you know, is the housing base Pateros? Is the housing base, uh, you know, Moses Lake? I mean, do we need to be thinking about providing access to some even further outlying areas because of the jobs housing balance question we have in our community? And I'm not sure that's where we're going to have to go. I mean, that's not in our technically within our service boundaries, but that may be the need the community has. And so that is part of what we're looking at, trying to figure out how do we meet the, some of those needs? Because transportation is the second largest expense a person has other than housing. And if you can reduce the cost of transportation, that may make housing more viable for a lot of people. And so that is, it's part of the solution for some people to keep them in the community that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And and it doesn't have to be like, you know, every single trip solution, as long as there's, you know, like I think about the commuter question a lot where, you know, how much of our driving is alone in a giant vehicle. Most of us don't have electric vehicles. And so then we're, you know, stuck in traffic, going through the grind when really a lot of us are making the same routes. Wenatchee isn't so complex with its, you know, street infrastructure that you have to guess wildly where people are going. They're generally going north-south, a little bit of east-west action, um, and, and link buses travel those routes all the time. I live myself over in Douglas County by Costco. And so, yeah, I can hop on the A and my kids love it. It's like an activity unto itself. If we're going to the library, we're hopping on the A and then doing the C. That's that's our route. <laughs> so it can also be used for cheap entertainment. <laughs> the uh, electric bus is smooth and quiet. So it's it's a different ride. And so I highly recommend it. It's, it's go for experience. Get that electric electric glide. And is I know that Selena was doing some fun trips with kids, actually. This is pre-pandemic. I don't know if she's picked it back up. But um, what, what kind of outreach and things like that does Link do to the community to kind of educate and engage the next generation of our travelers? Well, we haven't been doing much because of the pandemic on, in that area other than some of the ongoing. And we, we reach out to the schools. We've had our uh, ArtLink program for 30 years. And and. We've kept that going through the pandemic, uh, which is one of the primary outreaches. We've had our transit ambassador program where we work with high school uh, age students uh, with a variety of community events, trying to let people know what transit availability is out there. But some of those projects that are Selena, um, who's one of our outreach people has been doing, haven't been available because we haven't had the capacity with the with the uh, link with the limits that we've had under COVID. And so we've been it's been kind of an interesting interesting situation where we don't really we didn't really want more people on the buses right now because even though it may look crazy when you see a bus go down the street with three people on it, in some cases that bus was full, uh, and we were having to pass people by because of the limits that we were under uh, currently. That's changing, and we've been working tomorrow. On- changing tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so we've done some. You know, we, we what you've been seeing in our marketing has been things like every bus in the fleet has been equipped with uh, H, uh, sanitizers in our HVAC system. So we have uh, uh, ultraviolet uh, sanitizers that actually clean the air. So we kill all flu and cold and COVID virus that's in the vehicle almost instantaneously. So it's one of the safest environments around. Uh, because, you know, we were trying to get ahead of uh, where our situation is, you know, those types of things that it's, it really is a safe environment and that it is a place that people can trust to use because yeah. unfortunately that, that message wasn't being put out that way. Um, and the evidence 
didn't support that it was a, a was a, a transmission place anyway. But but be that as it may, we are going to have to work on that that concern of crowds are not something that people are comfortable with right now. Uh, the other issue that we have, and it's one that is going we're going to have for a while, is transit is covered by the Transportation Security Administration, and transit is still required to wear masks. So on a bus, you have to wear a mask, and uh, when we'll have masking requirements on vehicles and in our transit facilities until um, uh, the airports are changed. So we're we're the last place that masks are still required. Um, and that's uh, federal law until that, you know, and at least till September is what we've been told, and maybe longer. And that's not something we control, but it's what we were required to follow that as well. So that that sends a weird message about, okay, you have to be masked to ride the vehicle, but we're going back to full capacity. It's 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 a very interesting structure to talk about outreach and marketing when you're having to kind of do those things as well. So it sounds like the bus is sort of self-cleaning, as it were, <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with your scrubbers on your heating, ventilation, and AC system there. Uh, but it's kind of out of your hands in terms of whether people can wear a mask or not. Uh, at this point, I feel like everybody's had a mask on at some point. So it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's, it's kind of a bummer, but not not a big deal at this juncture. So well, so and, far, and I do it. we've been really good about it. I mean, it's it, we've had relatively few com- conflicts that have gotten anything beyond I don't want to, uh, you know, type of situations. And our operators have been wonderful in, in dealing with it. I've, I've been very impressed with how they've handled circumstances that are out there. But it just, it, it just is it's a challenge. Um, okay, we're going to turn this bus, take a hard left here. I have one last question for you, unless there is something in the chat. We have one from our very own Scott Stanford. He is curious what Link has done to save energy not just use it to get people around, but to actually save energy in your operations and buildings. So we've done actually your, uh, the PUD's uh, energy audits a couple times. We've upgraded our lighting uh, twice now, uh, first to high efficiency fluorescent, and then a couple of years ago to high energy, high efficiency LEDs in both uh, our Columbia Station building and our ops building um, have done that. We upgraded the heating and air conditioning systems in Columbia Station 10 years ago to higher efficiency systems and went to a reflective roof on this building out here when we upgraded it um, 10 years ago. The building out at Old Station was actually built to do that originally. And so it, it was already a higher efficiency system put in. The uh, We put in water recycling, which actually reduces energy quite a bit. We put in a new bus wash about four years ago, which reduces our energy uh, fairly substantially. And, and that reduces energy, how? The water? When you're bringing fresh water in and you're dumping it down the drains, it, it uses it differently. And it actually, you don't have to reheat it when you're washing it because it's mm-hmm. still warmer. So that's part of the energy savings. Uh, you don't re-soap it, which also saves energy. I think it's like a 30, it was a 35% energy savings by doing water recycling is what it, what it showed us, let alone the water savings that you got out of that. Um, yeah, we do live in a desert, so that's a great, <laughs> I'm yeah, a big fan, exactly. even if it weren't to save all of the energy that it does by not having to heat, you know, frigid cold water coming out of the tap. That's great. Well, and there's okay. some other energy in, involved when you're Turning your water on at the faucet, you don't see it, but there's some big pumps involved in getting that water out of the ground and pumping it through the piping system to get it up into your home and to your facility. So there's some savings there. Wouldn't show up on their meter, but does show up in your water bill. The city thanks you. <laughs> right. 
That's great. Yeah. And I know that uh, with your lighting programs, Shalam PUD was able to help out with our business incentives on those, help cover the cost, which this year through the end of 2021, we can cover up to 100% of those business lighting upgrade costs. Before there was a cap at 75%. We might go back to that, just saying. So if you have some pet projects, now is the time, depending on how much energy it saves. Just a little plug there. <laughs> and it was and it was a great assist at the time we did them. So the, again, thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Jim, Richard, thank you so much for sharing, for answering even some tough questions out there. Is there anything you want to leave with? I was going to say we had one other energy energy savings things we did that I think might be a kind of surprising one. We've invested in uh, these things called big belly trash compactors we have installed in our Chelan and our Leavenworth park and rides. And we spend a surprising amount of gasoline and staff time emptying garbage cans at bus stops. And the big belly compactors, they have, they're wirelessly, they're solar powered and they're wire, they have a wireless internet connection that tells us when they're full. So we only send someone to empty them when they become this full. This is brilliant. And so we <laughs> use about a quarter of the energy we used to use. We use about a quarter of the staff time it did take to empty those, those garbage cans. They pay for themselves. In the, in the savings we have, and we use a lot less energy and a lot less uh, time just by doing less garbage. Can you can you just jump on our energy audits and things like that? I feel <laughs> like you come up with the best system thinking ideas where, you know, your car wash to or your bus wash to your trash compactors, like all of these things are things that I would think would be outside the scope of transit, but you always seem to find them. <laughs> How do you do it? Good ideas are just good ideas. So. <laughs> All right. Jim, anything else to leave us with? I just want to say that Richard really is a rock star when it comes to his innovation and the work that he's done in, in moving Link Forward Transit on their on their electric buses, all this innovation that they're doing with washers and and how they've expanded their route and everything. I just compliments out there to, to Richard and the leadership that he's provided for Link Transit. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I second it. Thank you so much to both of you. Mm -hmm. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening to The Power Hour, Episode 5, recorded live on June 30th, 2021. We'll see you at noon on Wednesday, July 14th, for our live Q&A on all things energy efficiency, renewable energy, electric vehicles, and staying comfortable and healthy this summer. Subscribe to this Power Hour podcast, and you'll know when Episode 6 is ready for your listening pleasure. Scott Stanford, Shalam PUD Energy Advisor and former home builder, and Griselda Gonzalez, Shalam PUD Energy Efficiency Rep, will join me on July 14th for Episode 6 to talk about wildfire smoke, and how to create a clean air sanctuary in your home. Bring your questions to our next live event on Facebook and YouTube. Visit shalampud.org slash power hour for more or email your questions to conservation at shalampud.org. You can also listen anytime right here on the Power Hour podcast brought to you by Chelan County PUD, building a brighter future. I'm your host, Lacey Stockton, hoping you stay cool, Chelan County.